I'm Robin. And I'm Molly. And this is... Home is where the murder is. Happy Memorial Day! Yay! It's here! It is Memorial Day, right? It's Monday. It so, should it's be. It's always on a Monday, right? Always. Okay. 37 it's... years old and still trying to figure out national holidays. That's right. You are 37. I'm 36, though. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> I'm a 37-year-old woman who doesn't know what a vulva is. Nope. And you have one. You guys... I understand that last episode I mispronounced what a vulva. I kept calling it a vulva. That is the way it was spelled. And I just want to say that I am a realtor and I don't know. Not a doctor. No. And I, you don't study anatomy. I and No, I don't care. It's not, a, it's not a common word that you say daily. Yeah. I don't care to discuss my lady parts. And I apologize. Oh, your lo- lovely lady lumps. I do love to talk about my lady lumps. What are you oh. talking about? Well. Anyway. My bad. <laughs> but, no, it's been funny because people have been calling me and messaging me and laughing hysterically at me because of that whole charade because I didn't know what that vulva was vulva and vulva is vulva. And, and I, what exactly. And it what it was. All pertain to. Yeah. And, yes. So... so you know what? Either way, Robin is very, very learnt up on that subject matter. Yeah, I got it figured out, guys. So don't so, worry, all set. Yeah. So and I, so it's important to learn new things. That, isn't that why we're all here? Y- yeah. I think everyone should learn a new fact daily. Yeah. yeah. There we go. And there's that one that I'm for an idiot. her. For her. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. There's that too. Um, You're not, though. It's just, again, it's just. Yeah. It is what it is. So how's your week been? It has been busy as normal. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. I do it to myself, and it's what I do. And I constantly keep taking on more things, which is fine. But, again, if you don't take on more, how do you grow and learn and continue to become, you know, more, more. If you don't constantly keep growing, and oh my god, stop! Okay, we get it's it. You're I tired. feel like I feel like Michael Scott. It's it's my favorite quote when he's talking to um um oh gosh his one boss, and he's like David he's like Wallace? oh yeah David Wallace Wallace this this is my philosophy. God, and he just keeps going around and around in a circle. He's like. Treat people how you'd like to be treated and blah, blah, blah. And he just kind of keeps going around and around in a circle and he never gets to a point. And then he, it cuts away to him, you know, the camera cut away. He's like, I don't know where I'm going sometimes. I just hope I find it along the way. And he just kind of keeps talking and talking. <laughs> it's just my favorite. Yeah, so, that's what you did there. Um, Yeah. So, but basically my whole point is, is new opportunities mean growth. And I'm constantly taking on new opportunities and I think it's exciting. And that's that. That was some deep shit. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's how I am. Um, but yeah, school is almost out. We yeah. We have a couple weeks left. Mount Horb goes a little bit later. Um, oh, they do? Yeah. June 9th is our last day. Oh, that's not too bad. I think last year all the kids got out a lot later, right? Wasn't that the case because of snow days or something? I don't have memory of I that. I don't even know when Logan's last day is. That's Kimberly's job <laughs> that's not on your calendar no no Kimberly Kimberly's so for those of you that don't know Kimberly is my son's bonus mom and she I I don't think my I don't think I'd still be here if it weren't for her she keeps me going she's got my yeah. she's got the schedule down 
everything. And she You lucked out with a good one. I did. And she reminds me of everything. So yeah. I just wait for her to tell me what's happening. And then and then I, I'm yeah, like, Yeah, you oh, guys okay. have a really yeah. good system going so, there. So, yeah. So if everybody should get themselves a Kimberly. Well, I have you. Am I your Kimberly? Kind of. Aw. Yeah. That's so nice. Like, yeah. that's a very high honor. Yeah. We should have a Kimberly Award to, like, go out to somebody that, like makes a difference in someone well, makes, else's life. Makes other people's life easier. Yeah. And better. And better, yeah. Yeah. I might have to implement that. She'll probably think it's crazy and ask me not to do it, but I don't care. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, it's Memorial Day, so there's nothing like a wonderful... But, but to say also it's Memorial Day, so we want to say thank you to all of the um, brave men and women that have risked their lives and yeah fought for our country and lost their lives Mm -hmm. we remember you and thank you for everything that you've done um and the family and friends that support them that have been there for them too that's a sacrifice in of itself as well um so yeah just wanted to say thank you for that you know we're here because of all of you guys and women so yeah, just thank you. Great work, everybody. Yes, thank you very because much. So, of, saying, because of you, we have a podcast. Because of you, we can do this tomfoolery <laughs> that we do. So it really is. Yes, we're in a tent, uh, sipping tea. Speaking of our tent, you guys, I have to tell you about a connection I made the other day. Yesterday, by the other day, I mean it was yesterday. But by the time you hear but this, who it, knows? It won't be. Um, what are the days? Oh my god, count them. Uh, Math. Stop. <laughs> Numbers. <laughs> um. I met a another lender. Well, it's not met. I knew him, but he has someone that was working with him now, and they have a podcast. And I was telling them about when we started our podcast to where we are now and how we just hit the $3,000. I wish. 3,000 downloads, which was, you know, I thought pretty cool. But when I mentioned it to this guy, he's like, holy crap, that's amazing, you know, for how short of a period of time you guys have been on the the air, I guess that you've hit that many downloads and I'm like oh really that's and he's like yeah I I can't do that and I was like oh this is cool so they have a podcasting studio and they record their podcast as well and one they want Molly and I to be on their show but then they also want to sit in with us to do a murder in their um their studio and it'll be one of our live shows. We haven't done a live show in a while. No, because we haven't figured out like the logistics yeah. of it. So we necessarily still get, yeah. We gotta work on that. Yeah. But so that's going to be really cool. So we're going to try and schedule a time to get that done and have that uh, air in the next couple months or so. But I, I'm excited to actually be in a real studio. But it was funny because they're like, yeah, you can come to our studio and then we'll come to yours. And I'm like, well, we recor- recorded Molly's basement inside of a tent. On the floor. On the floor. Sitting crisscross applesauce. Yep. I'm like, and we are. On pillows. We are knee to knee. On like couch pillows. Yep. Like, like that you would. Throw pillows. Throw pillows, yep. And, like, we're knee to knee. I'm like, there's no way this – there's no room for you. Right. So, no. But thank yep. you for your interest. <laughs> so, in- nah. <laughs> so That's a nah. It, the funny part was is he was like, well, you can use our studio whenever you want. And the thing was, I'm like, I like our tent. Like, it's our space. Yeah. It's our little fort. Yeah. It's falling apart right now because all of our we soundproofing have, we equipment. We have foam, like, panels, like, falling. falling on us. But you know what? Yeah. That's okay. But – so, yeah, so it's – um, so that's pretty cool. So we're really making a lot of cool connections. And our database of realtors is con- is growing. I don't even know what number we're at right now. People keep calling me and 
emailing me to get added to our database and I can't keep up. So that's really cool. And then the reviews and the comments that are coming in about our show has, have been just phenomenal. You guys are amazing. We appreciate you. We hope Thank that you, you are enjoying the show. And uh, we, we would try to keep you guys uh, informed about th- you know these cases, but we also like to try to make you laugh a little bit. Yeah. Just because life's too short not to. So we appreciate right. that you guys we are We understand that. that these cases are very yeah hard to listen to. So trying to add in a little lightheartedness to it. Yeah, makes we, it a we don't easier. try to downplay what, Gosh, no. what happened at all, but especially with Dolly, Dolly, she see that that episode has uh, been a hit. She she so. has a special place in my heart, yeah. that lady. So, but yeah, so just those are pretty much the updates I have. Uh, so just thank yeah. you to everybody, and uh, yeah, keep sharing it with yeah, your friends and family. Please, so. thank you. we appreciate it so much. So, so this episode is an exciting one for me. Yeah. Because there's kind of a personal touch to it Ooh. that I think makes me sound crazy. Oh. But Whoa. I will get to that later. But what's really cool about this, you guys, this is the first episode where I collabed with another realtor because it was out of state. That's really cool. Yep. So so what, I, so what number episode is this for us? This again? is going to be 18. 18. Okay. So I want, so this realtor, and I'm going to give him a huge shout out because I sent him a case and I give these agents about 30 days to do their case. So they have enough time to, to search everything. This guy jumped on this so quick. I had everything from him within a day. So that is if, amazing. If that tells you anything about what his services must be like. Yeah, I'm no kidding. So I'm just going to give you a quick Almost knocked over my tea. It almost was oh. a catastrophe in the tent. Oh, God. Tent cast- catastrophe. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that. <laughs> so let me tell you about our new uh, realtor partner. His name, and I hope I'm saying this right, but it's me, so probably not. His name is Agni Mitra, and here's a little bit about him. So he's a real estate agent with Keller Williams Arizona Realty. And he lives in Gilbert, which is a suburb of Phoenix, with his wife and two kids. After scraping ice off of windshields and digging cars out of the snow in the winters of central Pennsylvania, he moved to the Valley of the Sun in 2000, and he loves the weather and the beauty of the Southwest. He serves the greater Phoenix area and maybe um, reached at, and then I'm going to go over his contact information at the end. So, um, but yeah, so he sent me... All of his information I can get out to you guys, and I will share that not only at the end of the show, but I also will put it on our Facebook page. I will also put it on the, we'll have it on the Instagram, the website, and in the show notes. So this guy is legit. He did a great job getting me all the information I need, needed for it, and um, he seems like a top-notch realtor. So if anyone is in the Phoenix area looking for a real estate agent, this is your guy. And you can either reach out to me directly, Molly, the show, get his information or you can go to any of those places I just talked about and contact him directly as well. But awesome. Phoenix guy. Amazing. Yeah. So and Arizona's is amazing. And too. he's right. He's right. He he left the cold for the warmth. Which I is, mean, as you yeah, it's you're saying scraping off your windshield and digging out of the snow. I'm like, I feel that yeah, right, right there. Yeah. Well, it's funny because we just like, stopped doing that a couple of weeks ago. Seriously, here, so, though. I mean, well, and it was funny, too, because as I was reading that, you know, it says, you know, warm, sunny weather. And I look over at Molly. Yep. I'm like, oh, here we go with fucking yeah. weather again. Yep. We've been having some really nice weather, you guys. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Although yesterday was a little too warm for me. I don't like it when it gets too hot. It was 78. No, not here. Not in Mount Horeb. It was in the 80s. 
Okay, whatever. And next week it's going to get to the 90s, and that's too much. I'm going to have to turn on the air. <sighs> we might as well just turn this into a fucking weather podcast. I should have an offshoot. Jesus Christ. I'm going to start my murder. I would love it. Otherwise, <laughs> okay. I'm going to keep going about the weather. All right. So no one wants that. This is a fun do one. do you? Not fun. Let I always know. say fun. This huh? isn't a fun one. This is never a fun one. Come on. It's an interesting. It could an, be a good word. Yeah. So interesting. Um, so this one is a guy that a lot of people do know about because it made national headlines. And yeah, I'm just going to get started and I'm not going to give you too much information about it. So if you don't recognize the name, just hang in there. If not, oh boy. Buckle up, buckle so this is the story of the family annihilator, Robert Fisher. You really like family annihilators as well. Uh, yeah, I think I have a theme going here. I've had a few of those, though, too. Yeah. You you like the sons killing the moms. Yeah. Though. Or is it the moms? Well, no. fam- I've had sons. Yeah, sons. Son- the sons. I'm telling you, I think you're subconsciously doing it because you think your kids are going to kill you in your sleep. <laughs> oh, no. E- Sweet Yikes. boys. Yeah. Love, okay. Love you, angel children. Here we go. Around 10 p.m. on April 9th, 2001, neighbors in the Scottsdale Estate subdivision were minding their own business when an argument broke out at 2223 North 74th Place in Scottsdale, Arizona. This was a common occurrence for this home, which was occupied by Robert and Mary Fisher and their two children, Brittany and Bobby. The arguing usually consisted of Mary yelling loudly and Robert packing up his things and removing himself from the situation. He would usually head up to the mountains where he would camp for the next couple of days until he had cooled off. However, that wasn't the case this time. Robert was yelling back. This time, I'm sorry, yelling back this time, and he was yelling back loudly. So he basically had enough. Yep. By 10.30 p.m., the house was silent. And that's the way it would stay until the next morning at 8.42 a.m. when the neighborhood was rocked by a loud explosion. The three-bedroom ranch that housed the Fisher family had exploded and there were flames reaching 20 feet tall. 911 call after 911 call came in with frantic neighbors telling dispatchers, there's a family in that house. There's a family in that house. I love it when I screw up and then I try to read it and it doesn't make any sense. It makes sense. You're fine. Okay, good. Firefighters and police arrive on scene and begin to fight the flames, but it was an uphill battle as whatever caused the fire was continuously continuously setting off more explosions. Eventually, firefighters make their way into the home and they find the very shard bodies of Mary Fisher, who was 38, Brittany Fisher, who was 12, Mm. and Bobby Fisher, who was 10. Initially, they were not sure who the adult body was, but once they were able to confirm it was Mary, they immediately began looking for her husband, Robert Fisher. When it was confirmed he was not in the home, they put out an APB to inform him of the explosion. Initially, they were concerned that he was on his way to work or at work and wanted to notify him before he saw it on the news. But when they called the hospital where he worked, they learned he was off work that day. So where was Robert Fisher? This exact question would go unanswered until this very day, 22 years later. Whoa. You see? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Got it. Mm. Okay. It doesn't take law enforcement long to realize that Robert Fisher Mm -hmm. wasn't a man to be notified of his family's death, but instead the reason behind their deaths. Once the bodies were more closely examined, it was determined that they were killed prior to the fire. 
Mary was found in her bed with a bullet hole into the back of her head and her throat had been slashed. Both. Whoa. Yep. The kids were also in their beds and their throats had been slashed as well. But no bullets. Nope. The cuts, well, okay, so this isn't good. The cuts went from ear to ear and were so deep that the heads were almost decapitated. Mm. Investigators noted that it seemed as though the kids were asleep when they were killed. So somewhat comforting, maybe? I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully they didn't wake up and I... Yeah, I know. Kids. All three victims had no smoke in their lungs, which confirmed that they were dead before the fire started. Law enforcement agencies began the hunt for Robert Fisher, a man that people believed to be a loving and devoted husband and father, but instead was a modern-day Jekyll and Hyde. Man. So Robert William Fisher, he was born on April 13, 1961, in Brooklyn, New York, to William Fisher and Jan Howell. His father was a banker, and his mother stayed home with Robert and his two sisters, Jean and Carol. When he was 15, his parents divorced, and his father moved to Tucson, Arizona. All three children went to live with him and began school at Sahar. Ooh, Sahar. <laughs> you got, you got this. Sahuaro High School. I'm sure that was it. No. <laughs> I'll put that in the show notes, and you guys can decipher what I what I just said. I'm, I'm sure that was exactly it. It's funny too because there's a Facebook group of these high school like you like a alumni page that yeah. I had weaseled my way into to get information. And they all say, like, they all spell it out like it's no big deal. Sahoo, whatever. And I'm just like, what are they saying? Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. So the divorce was said to have a huge impact on Robert. Friends say he was bitter about the divorce and felt that his mom abandoned the family. He would later say that he feels, he would later say that he feels his life would have been much better if she hadn't left. I was able to find some information on what classmates thought of him by searching on Facebook. And in the alumni page that I found, here are the comments that I saw on Robert Fisher. One woman said, I had some classes with him, nothing out of the, out of the ordinary about him then. Another person, I went to church with him, El Camino Baptist. Now that's important because you'll find that he's always very big into church, the church scene. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, speaking to a classmate, so somebody was speaking to another classmate. Do you remember the time at camp when he and some of the guys were throwing rocks at squirrels? Robert accidentally killed a squirrel, and everyone started calling him Psycho Killer. So weird to remember that now. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah. And and then uh, last comment that I saw about him was, I went to classes with him at Saharua High School and graduated the same year as he did in 79, but never experienced any negativity around him. And that's kind of the concise opinion I have um, from some people. They saw one side of him. And other people saw the completely other side and were like, no way. There's no way he would do that. Yeah. So it's kind of very interesting. Very Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah. So the move did have one perk, though. It was at the high school that Robert would meet Mary Cooper. They were 16 years old at the time and would go on to graduate in 1979. Shortly after graduation, Robert joined the Navy with the hopes of becoming a SEAL. Did, did you put that in your notes? No, it just came to me. Okay. Oh, gosh. Okay. All right. But he did, <laughs> but he did not make it, make the cut due to a back injury. Did that come to you as well? Yeah. All right. One of the, 
This back injury would go on to require surgery and leave a scar on his lower back. Regardless, Robert had served as a petty officer's second class on the San Diego-based USS Bellow Wood from 1979 to 1982. After being discharged from the Navy, Robert became a firefighter, but that was also short-lived due to his back issues. In 1986, he began classes at Gateway Community College in Phoenix with hopes of obtaining an associate's degree. He and Mary were still dating and were married in 1987. Mary's father later would state that Robert assured him that he would be a good husband to Mary because divorce would never be an option. Never. Mm-hmm. No matter what. That made her father feel as though he would stick it out through thick and thin, and he gave his blessing. Anyway. Uh. Shortly after the wedding, Robert and Mary purchased the home on 74th Place for $80,000. Robert worked at the Mayo Hospital as a surgical catheter technician and respiratory therapist. Mary was an office manager for H&L Medical Specialist, which was owned by their good friends, Herb and Lori. Herb. Herb. I mean Herb. Herb. Nope. Nope. Oh, no. Basil and... (laughs) Shit. Mint and... Vulva. Vulvas. What else do they grow? All right, we're done. Let's just close it up. There's the story. Enjoy. That's all. It wasn't long after their wedding that they welcomed their daughter, Brittany Jean, on April 27, 1988, and then their son, Robbie, I'm sorry, Robert Bobby Fisher Jr., on September 21, 1990. Home videos showed Robert to be a loving father who spent many days playing with his kids in the family pool, opening presents on Christmas, and just being very much involved in their lives. Friends and family would also state that he always seemed loving towards his wife and children. However, not everyone would agree with that. Others saw a different side of him. So one thing to note is these family videos. So there's a really good documentary on this, and I'm going to put that information in the show notes, that uh, an Arizona-based journalist did. Great video footage, just an awesome story. And they showed a lot of those video clips. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of this stuff in his safe, so it was protected during the fire. So that's why... In case you were wondering if the house exploded, well, there's fireproof yeah. safes out there for that reason. So um, so some friends and family members described him as a cruel control freak. Oh. The interior of the house was not to be painted any color than white. Very few pictures were allowed to be displayed on the walls. He was disappointed that his son didn't like to hunt and fish, which was a huge part of Robert's life. So he would belittle him because of this. Robert's own mother stated that Robert's father was a yes sir type of person and required constant compliance within the family, hence why she left him. She recognized this exact behavior early on in Robert and told Mary about it. She had been too afraid to stand up to Robert's father and warned Mary what she was in for, but Mary was not afraid to stand up to Robert and brushed it off. Mary's mom said that Robert would not socialize with family too much as he was afraid that he would become too close to them and they would leave because of what happened with his mom. Yeah. It was clear clear to her that this was uh, some sort of trauma he was still battling from his parents' divorce. And a lot of the feedback that I saw on who Robert Fisher was, many people said that the divorce always somehow came up in conversation. It just like really completely fixed, yeah, f- fixated on it. Yeah, um, I'm gonna take a drink of my tea quick. Yeah, well, I mean, it just seems like that was such a defining moment of his oh, life. There goes my mic. 
um, the divorce that it just really defined yeah. who he was as a person. So, and you know, I can kind of relate to that because so today I was talking with my uncle about, um, you know, so my dad is, I guess, I guess a lot of you don't know this, but my dad adopted my brother and I. So he adopted me when I was about two years old, I think it was. And my mom is my mom, but anybody that's been through that similar situation knows how that works. So then my parents divorced when I was 11. So my dad continued, was still my dad. You know, he adopted me. And, but um, a lot of people would say, well, that's not even your real kid, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But at the time when I, when they divorced, I was still relatively young and I didn't really quite understand this whole, like, what do you mean? He's not my actual dad. Like he's my dad. He's the only dad I know. So the divorce, I remember being very hard in the sense of, I remember seeing the house change furniture you know mom took the furniture with her and then dad had to get old furniture to take up places and the demeanor of the house changed you know we didn't have dinner at the same time anymore and it was just kind of a weird situation and today my uncle and I were talking about it and I don't even know how it came up necessarily but I started to get tears in my eyes as we were talking about it and I was embarrassed because I'm like I'm 37 like you know like why does that still bother and me? They're both happy. And oh, and good. it's the best thing ever. We yeah. all have, my like, parents are great co-parents yeah. and always have been. My dad is an amazing man. My mom's always and they there both when have they're... found good people yep, for they're them. They're both happily with other folks, and yeah, and those people are great to us. Yeah, yep. it's all it's all great. But it was like all of a sudden I got this like wave of sadness because I understood like where where a kid was coming from that is going through like how that yeah. could affect them in the long run. Oh, and yeah. I do believe it has affected me in the long run because I have a weird image of marriage. I don't want to get divorced ever. So I'm like, oh, I just won't get married then. But, you know, that's, it's fine. But it, so I can see where this could still affect him in a way. I just would never want it to affect me to the point where it consumed me like that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I barely talk about my parents' divorce ever, um, which is why today when I got teary-eyed, I'm like, what is happening here? You're but like, ah. Uh... I was 11. You know, so I get it. But to an extent on how that can affect a child. But, you know, I guess maybe his situation is a little different than mine because my parents got along and I. Right. His dad and moved to an entirely different state. So. Right. And yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I can get where he didn't want to come become too close to people because his mom and dad splitting made him feel abandoned. So. Right. And he didn't have that other good relationship. Still think he's a twat. Well, right, and it obviously turned out much different for him than you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I so, so far. Yeah, we never know. <laughs> so some other odd behaviors that were noted by friends were that during hunting trips, he would rub the blood of the animal all over his body. Well, that's something you do do. What? <laughs> I'm kidding. I hate blood. I know you hate I blood. I see it. I run in the other direction. Oh, my gosh. Matt talked about cutting Dakota's nails and blood squirting Gross. out today. And Why would almost... you bring it up? <laughs> Why would you bring it up? You know I can't run out of here. I know you can't. You're stuck in a tent. Oh, gross. Okay. Back yeah. to it. So he did this to assert dominance because killing wasn't enough. Well, isn't there something about, like, the scent of it, too, God, probably? God, could you just... Well, no, no, no. I'm saying, isn't that why hunters do that, too, maybe? I don't know. Well, usually when people start talking about rubbing blood on them, that might I be more walk the, away. That might be more the urine of you know, the animal. Anyways, you know what? continue. All right. Once he snuck up on a family having a picnic, and he unloaded his gun right behind them in the air, just to scare them. Yeah. 
Another that's thing? A, that's a pretty dick move. Yeah. So the next next thing he does is a animal-related thing. So if you don't want to Trigger hear... warning. Yeah. Skip ahead. Um, so he randomly shot a stray dog just for oh. the kill, but told others it was because it attacked his dog. Now, I read in some places that it wasn't a stray dog, and other places that it was... Or I'm sorry, that it was a stray dog, and then other places it was some, someone else's dog. And he said that, the, that a dog... That dog attacked his dog, and he got into an argument with the owner. So I'm not sure which it was, to be honest with you, because I saw it in, in many places. One, pe- you know, saying different things, and that is the way it is with some of these stories, right? So I don't know what happened there. I wasn't there, so just take that with a grain of salt. Um, but at the end of the day, he shot a dog. So um, he wants. I can understand if it was like attacking his dog, like. Oh, and the yeah. actual attack of it. But if it's, like, after the fact and he's just, like, pissed off about it, like, no. Well, like, and the thing is about that is so many people use this example of him shooting this dog as something, like, a red flag. So if it was the situation where it was him, his dog actually being attacked, I don't think people would constantly bring it up. Right. You know? I think it would just be something that happened. Mm-hmm. Because I think anybody would understand to, to save your dog. I mean, I'd shoot another right. dog to save your dog. Oh, absolutely. If there was a dog attacking, like, my little dog Charlie, for instance, like, if it was a bigger dog or something, and yeah. I... I mean, that I dog would be dead. wouldn't have a gun probably on. You know what I mean? Like, but like, I would if, jump on it and just, I'd bite it. You have very weak my, teeth. Though. My weak teeth. Your <laughs> teeth would not be able oh, to no. help Charlie. Be a serious dental bill. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, man. Oh, my weak teeth. Charlie wouldn't make it. You know, we should get a dentist to sponsor us so I can get some new teeth. Oh, Robin needs some new teeth. <laughs> she has some very soft I teeth. I do. That's so bad. A soup breaks my teeth guys they're kind of like chalk they are kind of like chalk very unfortunate soul yeah soul god you ursula oh god (laughs) this is our struggle today (laughs) anyway so so yeah the last thing that i have here that he did that was kind of questionable red flagish is he once threw his kids off a boat and demanded they swim even though they had not learned to swim yet they screamed and cried until he finally pulled him pulled them back on the boat so that was a dick move. Yeah, that's a little much. Yeah. So neighbors often reported hearing Robert and Mary arguing about sex and money, and she would often yell that she wanted a divorce. He would tell people that he was committed to his marriage and divorce was not an option, even though he himself was very unhappy. People weren't sure if he was against divorce because he wanted to protect his children from what he went through, or if it was the idea of his marriage being a failure. In 1998, he began telling people that he was considering suicide because he was just so unhappy. Too bad. All right. To make matters worse, Robert was not getting his needs met at home, so he began frequenting strip clubs and eventually had an affair with a massage therapist that he had been seeing for his back pain. He ended up contracting a UTI infection and came clean to his wife. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. He was determined to fix what was broken and agreed to counseling. In 2000, the marriage was still no better, and the fighting had escalated. Neighbors report hearing Mary yell at him constantly, saying things like, we should get a divorce, you're worthless, and I could do better than you. I mean, she's not wrong. She's not. I mean, and and just think, like, if he would, I mean, if he would have just, I mean, you don't want to say, like, take his own life, but if he would have just left, or if he would have just, like, Mm -hmm. none of this would have happened. His kids would have been alive. Like, it's just so sad to think that, Yeah, they would be about our age right now, so. Yeah. Ugh. 
Now, at this point, many things were a brewing. People say that six months before the murders, Robert stopped going to church, which was very odd for him because he had been a constant face at the Baptist church. Robert was taking more and more hunting and camping trips, and at one point he had taken Herb, not Herb, Mary's boss. During this trip, Herb says that during breakfast one morning, he met a guy who lived in a town called Rye. He told him that it was very unknown and quiet, and the closest busy town was two hours away. This man said he would hop on his motorcycle, drive the two hours to work a construction job, and then ride back. Never, oh God. Sorry. Every time I hit my mic, you I said get... rye, and I thought bread. Well, it's spelled that way too. I know. Do I you know? know? No, I. I figured. You don't know. I figured it was, but I'm just saying. Is that why you kind of like smirk or yeah. something? Okay. Yeah, because you were saying like. Herb so that's and what herb gets you. Bread, rye bread. Yep. Herb and rye bread. Yeah. Yep. You guys hungry yet? <sighs> Never. Okay. So he's. So this man would hop on his motorcycle and drive the two hours to a construction job and then ride back. Never seen anyone or anything because of how deserted it was. Herb and Robert then went four-wheeling, and Robert stopped to talk to anyone and everyone he saw about the area. Herb found this strange because it seemed like Robert was collecting information. But for what? Mm. I bet you I know what. Yeah. Leading up to two weeks before the murders, Mary at this point was very public with her want and need for a divorce. She was telling people that she was absolutely filing for divorce and even told her employers that she was afraid Robert was going to do something to her. So, I mean, again, not like blaming her at all, but like, did she not have anywhere that she could go? Like, did she not have family nearby? Well, so something you'll see as I go on, her family was very supportive of Robert as well. Oh, that's too bad. So I felt, I feel, and she also wasn't. Afraid to stand up to him. Yeah. So I don't think that. I know from like like the yelling at, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's almost, it's like, man, just leave him. Yeah. Like, just get out of there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, again, not like none of this is her fault. But no, I mean, but it, ma- it makes but if you she wonder. Felt like, like if she felt like something was going to happen, like. Yeah. Get out of there and just take the kids and just go somewhere too. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, if you feel something's not right at home, get out of there. Yep, for sure. At about the same time, Robert was on a hunting trip with a friend and was showing him the many places he could hide out if need be. Mm. The friend told him he had a great time and they should do it again sometime, but Robert responded with, we won't be able to do it again. Okay, creep. So this was two weeks before the murders. So now we're up to April 9th, which is the day before the house explosion. It was a typical day for a homeowner and a family man. Robert changed out the insulation in the attic, got an oil change on his truck, and he took his daughter to a church event while Mary took their son to a different event. I feel like changing out the insulation in your attic is not a typical day. That's like a pretty big day. Is it? It's not something we typically do. I don't know. It just feels like typical home maintenance to me. I do it all the time. Shut up. You never do that. Well, of course not. I, I, would not, I will not go in my attic. I know. I'm like, shut up. You do not <laughs> do that. That is not a tip. Just a typical day. Just change out the attic insula- insulation and like insulation. And um, got an oil change. Like, one of those things is a good day. Like, oil change. Check. Says the world's most busiest woman. Well, right. But, but listen, yeah. Listen. Just ha- be sure to check your insulation in the attic, guys. That's. Or just hope for the best sometimes. That works, too. Yeah. Because I, listen, it's creepy up there. I'm not going up there. I'm not going up there. Good. 
glad we're on the same page. Find, find a home inspector. That's and right. if you and if you need um, a home inspector, let us wow, know. way to get that in there. We we got we got we got a good list. We do. Okay, continue. All right, so all seemed to be normal leading up to 10 p.m. that night. Now the following the following is all speculation because we cannot be certain what happened. But based on what I've read, here is what I think went down. Some state that the night of the murders, Mary found out that Robert was having another affair. She and him got into a fight, and she told him that she was absolutely getting a divorce. This fight was from 10 p.m. to 10.30, with the house being completely silent after 10.30, per the neighbor reports. Now, law enforcement believes the murders happened between, or anytime between 9.30 p.m. and 10.15 p.m., but here's why I disagree, and I'm sure they know more than I do based on the case, and they're not obviously telling things, but based off of what's public information... I don't know where they came up with that timeline because here's what I yeah. got. So the neighbors heard them arguing until 10.30 p.m. Robert is seen on an ATM camera at 10.42 p.m. So that's 12, approximately 12 minutes total. This ATM is a half mile from his house. So if you factor in drive time, getting in and out of the car, and the fact that it, 10.30 on the dot is, I'm sure isn't exactly when it right. happened, but around that. I don't see how he could have murdered his family and made it to the ATM in that short amount of time. Mm-hmm. He seems very calm while at the ATM. He withdraws $280, which is the max he could take out, and then he gets back into his wife's forerunner. I then, okay, so I think he then stews about the situation a bit longer, doing who knows what, but then comes to the decision that it's time to act on his plan of murdering his family and taking off. So in my opinion, they got into the fight. He took off like he usually does. He went to the ATM to just kind of whatever, which is why he only took out $280. Now, that is the max at the time, but it's something to do. Maybe he was going to go to the strip club because that's something he always did, right? So then what? maybe he went to the strip club. Maybe he's just hung out for a little while. But I think he sat there and thought about his situation. Now, I do think he had this planned out. I just don't think he knew when he was going to act on it, hence why he did the normal things around the house, like getting his oil changed and putting the insulation right. in the attic. So that's what I think. So if you are asking why he took Mary's forerunner rather than his truck to the ATM, well, he could have been doing it to keep her from going anywhere with the kids. Remember, she was already ready to leave his crazy ass. So Mm -hmm. that could have been why he took her car instead. So after a while, I believe Robert came home and found his family to be asleep. I believe he grabbed one of his guns, put a pillow over to muffle the sound, and he shot Mary in the back of the head while she was slept. I then believe he realized that the gun was going to be too loud and not worth the risk of someone hearing it, so he grabbed a knife and then slit his children's throats, making the cuts deep enough so there was no way they would survive, which he would easily know how to do because of his hunting background. And once he was done with his family, and once he was done now that his family was dead, I believe he went back into where his wife was and slit her throat as a fuck you because he was so mad at her. I wouldn't be surprised if he rubbed their fucking blood on his body the way he did when he killed animals. So this is my speculation, but I think I'm right on point. Okay. With the family dead, I believed he I believe he continued out his plan. Now, I listened to a true crime podcast where the host said, if he planned this out, why did he put new insulation in the attic or get an oil change in his truck? Well, that is because I think he didn't know when he was going to act on his plan. Um, I even think that he was so, um, was so unhappy in his marriage he was going to hang on as long as possible, though, to try to to make it work. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, I think that was his 
his end goal was to make the marriage work. But when Mary said she was done, what more? What what did he have to lose? Um. So the next step of the plan was to pack up Mary's forerunner, which he did, with items that he would need to survive, and his dog, a two-year-old Queensland healer, um, named Blue. Like Blue, like uh, from Blue's Clues. I like to think that's where that name came from. But it could be the fact that I think the dog had blue eyes. Anyway, if you're wondering why he is taking Mary's vehicle again, I'll explain why I think that in a minute. So inside the home, he now has three dead bodies. And with him being still alive, it's all going to point to him. So he removes the furnace gas line so the home begins to slowly fill up with gas. He also covers the home in accelerants in what I call baby bombs, which were firecrackers and a battery attached to a wire and aluminum foil. Lastly, he lit a candle and then drove off with his dog in Mary's forerunner. So he is gone and on the run by the, by the time, and now the house sits without anyone knowing that the family has been murdered. Okay? And that is until 840 when the house explodes. And that leads us back to the beginning of the story when the entire world finds out what a real dick Robert Fisher is. Okay? So he's gone. Mm-hmm. House blows up. So in this case, we pretty much know the why. Robert refused to be a divorcee and allegedly didn't want to put his kids through that. But obviously, he was nuts if he thought killing them was the answer. So with the why being clear, the only question that remains is, where is he? There are so many theories about where this guy went or what happened to him, including my own. So this, I need to move my leg. Oh, this is the perks Can of the Can I ask floor. a question? I would love that. What? Did they ever, when they, I mean, how much did the house explode? Like, were they able to find a lot of things in the house or was no. it like a huge explosion? Huge explosion. So do you think that he put stuff up in the attic as well? I'm not sure about that because the reason I think he wasn't sure that he was going to do this, I mean, I know he planned it out. But the reason I don't think he knew that he was going to do it is because he also got the oil changed in his truck, too, that day. So. Right. But if he was thinking that he might do this at some point, right? Like, maybe, right? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe he planted things up in the attic so that eventually, someday, if he was going to do this, it would help with the house exploding, too. That's very possible. Oh, my God. What is happening here? Oof. Oh. So I was I was just thinking that I was like, huh, very very peculiar. Because if how often do you think his kids and his wife went up in the attic to check on anything? Probably, Probably never. Never. I, I hold on. Keep. I got warm. She got warm. You guys, there's I, no ventilation in the I tent. Have, so I was thinking that as you were talking about that, because I was I'm like, real concerned about that too. I am very concerned. I don't want a tent catastrophe. Um. Because I'm thinking about that. I'm like, what if he, like, planted things up in the attic, too? It's very possible. I mean, there's a lot of theories on this. Yeah. And I say, let's just throw that one in there, too. I like it. So, all right. So, I'm going to give you my theory at the end. But here's what happened in the aftermath of Robert killing his family. Tips immediately began to come in from friends and family, but they were all over the board. Some think he was a loving father and there was no way he had anything to do with this. That, in fact, he was somewhere being held hostage or was dragged out of the house and was killed as well. Others came forward and told police what a control freak he was, how he would kill before getting a divorce, and that he was probably out hiding in the woods due to him being an experienced outdoorsman. 
One lead, in fact, was from Mary's employer, Herb, who told police exactly where they could find him. Herb told police to go to a place called Young, Arizona, because Robert had told Herb that, it were, that there were caves that one could hide in and never be found. This tip was among many, many, so by the time they got around to it, it was 10 days later. But it was the tip that, I'm sorry, but it was the tip they should have jumped on because right where Herb said they would find him, they found Mary's forerunner and their dog, Blue. Oh. It was in Tonto National Forest, which is about 100 miles outside of Scottsdale. Blue was hiding under the car, hungry and skittish. Oh. Yeah. Robert, however, was nowhere to be found, which makes sense because at this point he had at least a 10-day head start on police. Officers said they found the vehicle to be in great condition for being in the woods for 10 days. Barely even a leaf or pine needle on it, which was odd since the entire forest was covered in pine needles. The windows were open and there wasn't so much as a fingerprint in the vehicle, except for one that was on a cup in a cup holder, which turned out to be Robert's fingerprint. The only item inside the car besides that, that cup was a Raider's hat, which was the same one worn by Robert in the ATM footage. Huh. So a couple of things about this. So some people are like, well, I don't think that the car was there the entire time because why wouldn't pine needles be on it? Right. And then another, a bunch of people are real confused about why Blue was left behind because Blue was very loyal to Robert and Robert loved his dog. And people are like, there's no way he ever would have left him. But the thing is, is if he's going off on the run... He might have realized, I can't bring this dog with me because people are going to recognize the situation. And if he's going to try and hide out or whatever, that's another mouth to feed. And Well, and the dog could and bark. And do- dog could bark. So it might have been a situation where he had to be like, you know what, I'm going to go. So then people are like, well, why wouldn't the dog follow you? Well, the windows were down in the truck, so there's in the Forerunner. So there's a good chance that the dog was just sitting in there and then realized after a while, maybe my owner's not coming back. Jumped out, went to go look for him. Too late to look for him. Can't find him or whatever. And he couldn't get back into the vehicle, so he made a bed underneath the car. Yeah. So that's one option that I think could have happened. Um, another thing, too, that I didn't mention earlier, the reason I think he took the forerunner was because since he planned on blowing up the, the house um, and being a former fireman, he understands that, yes, they'll find the bodies, but they might be so shard that they wouldn't be able to, you know, physically identify them right away. If Mary Forerunner's gone and his truck's there, there's a good chance they would have thought her body was his. Yeah. At least initially, giving him additional more time to get away. Yeah. So just another thing to think about. Um, so, so some speculation was that Robert may have had another vehicle or someone who picked him up at this location because there was no way Blue wouldn't have followed him. But it's possible. Um, but the thing about that is that there was no tire marks or anything leading away. Mm-hmm. So there were footprints leading to a cave, but they never found that the, they didn't search the cave or anything until like two later. So, right. So he was gone by then. Yeah. So, um, so another little fun note, <laughs> uh, there was a pile of human poo on the ground by the passenger side door. Good. Yep. Um, there was no way to prove that it was Roberts, but it would make sense. That it would be his because why not take a poo before you run off after murdering your family? Everybody poops. Everybody does. I have a real hard time getting through Costco without needing to poop. Do Some, ya? Sometimes right in my, my pants. Do ya now? I let everyone know. That happens sometimes. Costco is dangerous. Yep. I've heard. Yep. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. 
We have a whole poop chat about how Costco is dangerous. Because so, you think you can make it because you don't want to. You don't want to stop. There's food and. It's a big place. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Now, Herb, Mary's employer and friend, said that he believes that Robert stashed a motorcycle somewhere and then he walked away from the vehicle and eventually got on the bike. So Herb is like, I do believe he had a vehicle, but I think he had to walk away as to it. That way that no one would think to check tire marks anywhere else. And the reason he thinks it was a motorcycle was because this guy told him that it's a good way to get to and from easily. It's not, you know... identifiable like a you vehicle. You can hide it easy too. Yeah. Yep. And uh, that would explain why Blue was not going with. Yeah. So um, so he believes that he got on that bike and drove to Rye and started a new life. Or maybe even further um, given the amount of time he had to get away. So that's one theory. Other people believe he entered the caves and continued to live there for weeks or even months. And some people believed he killed himself inside of one of the caves. For many years, people have toured these very complicated caves looking for anything that may show that Robert was there. Nothing has ever turned up, but there are still more caves to look through. In the area of where the Forerunner was found, there are over 30 caves within a quarter mile radius and many more within that area as a whole. That's crazy. And also kind of creepy thinking like what could be in those caves. And so there's a lot of people that like spend their time going through these caves, like experienced, you know... They're, they have a special name, Blunkers or something like that. Yeah, cavers. Sure, Cavers works. So they they have all the special equipment, and they can go super far into these caves or whatever, but they're saying that even they haven't gone as far as you can go. So yeah. there is a chance that if that were the case, he could have gone even further and maybe, yeah, killed himself. Or maybe he's just somehow living in one of these caves. I don't think he is because at this point, someone would have seen him. He can't just, he's got to come out to get food. Right. So, I don't know. I mean, or he became someone's dinner. I don't know. Right. So. Well, what kind of wild animals are there out in these So, they were saying that there's, like, mountain lions, bears, things like that. And it's funny, this one lady said in in this documentary that she's more afraid of running into Robert Fisher than she is any of those wild animals. So, speaking of that documentary, so there is this great documentary I found on YouTube that was done by Brianna Whitney. And it aired about eight months ago. She has a great conversation with Herb about his experience with this whole tragedy. He and his wife, Lori, talk about how much they loved um, Mary. Sorry, lost my spot. And the kids and what a great employee she was. He talks about it was um, what it was like the morning of the explosion and how they had noticed she hadn't come in for work and how odd that was. Herb then received a phone call that Mary's house was on fire and he beelined it over there to find the entire neighborhood outside. Huge flames coming from the home and police and firefighters everywhere. He mentioned that he noticed Mary's forerunner gone, which gave him comfort that maybe they weren't inside and that she had been on her way to work. But sorrow because Robert's truck was there and he was afraid he was inside. So it sucks that people felt initially bad for him. Right. Not knowing the situation, though, I mean, you don't want to... You know, you yeah. feel bad for any loss, oh, of course. basically. But, yeah, you don't know the situation. Yeah. Eventually, he heard the body that bodies were being pulled out and his heart sunk. The adult body was that was pulled out, he initially thought it was Robert. And then soon the children were pulled, pulled out and it had really sunk in. It wasn't long that he learned that it was Mary that was deceased, not Robert. And all of a sudden, his whole view changed of what he was witnessing. Police were still trying to figure out where Robert was so they could tell him. But Herb knew exactly where he was. 
and that he had done this. So a quick summary. The Fisher family is killed in their home, and Robert is believed to be the killer, and he is on the run. His wife's forerunner and dog are found 10 days later, and a manhunt begins for Robert. Now, something to note is that Mary's father, who was absolutely devastated by this, refused to believe that Robert had nothing to do with this. Even at the time of the funerals, Mary's father, Bill, gave a statement that said, He was the greatest dad. He was the greatest husband. I miss him. I miss him terribly. I miss him almost as much as I miss my daughter, because they were one. Mm, Don't like that. Nope. Folks, that's called denial, and it's completely understandable when someone, so when something of this magnitude happens. I get it. You don't want to believe the worst in somebody you love. I get it. Eventually, Bill would realize that his son-in-law was a cold-blooded murderer, and he would go on to give additional interviews saying that he just wants him caught so he can pay for what he's done. Good. Unfortunately, Bill would never see Robert's fa- or Robert face justice as he passed away in 2009. Oh, that's too bad. Yes. He was placed near his daughter and grandchildren at Green Acres Memorial Park in Scottsdale. On July 19, 2001, an arrest warrant was issued charging him with three counts of first-degree murder, arson, unlawful flight to avoid prosecution, and he was declared a fugitive. Now, this is where it gets cool. About a year later, on June 29, 2002, Robert was named the 475th person on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Now, this is inter- interesting to me, and this is what th- I'm going to tell you what I think. Okay. And you're going to think I'm nuts. Everyone that's going to hear this is going to be like, you sound crazy, but I'm going to say it. And I even thought to myself, don't put this in here, but I'm going to do it. Okay, do it. Uh, okay, so when we were juniors in high school, um, so it was around 2003, we went to Cocoa Beach, Florida. Do you remember that? Yep. For a softball tournament over spring break. While we were there, I saw a man in our hot- hotel who gave me the willies. He had these eyes that were like they reminded me of someone that doesn't blink okay and i said i and i'm i said that his body was too big for his head and i remember him like it was yesterday okay um so anyway i didn't think anything of it until our senior year when i was doing a report on j edgar hoover and i found myself on the fbi website where i came across the 10 most wanted list within freaking seconds i'm telling you that guy was the same guy Oh, yeah. I, I'm i telling you, I, like, got instant, like, sick to my stomach, and I'm, like, it was it was just because his, his look is just, it's uncanny. It's just, so I'm, like, so I thought it was nuts or whatever, but I became so obsessed with this, Molly. I printed out his picture, and I still have it. It's within all, it's within all, all my memory stuff. So a weird memory I wanna, to print out and keep. But that's what I'm saying. It's, like, but I right. know I saw this guy. That That's how con- convinced I was. But back then, I never wanted to talk about, like, all this true crime stuff because I think people thought I was crazy. So I kind of would keep it to myself. Uh-huh. But I printed it out. I kept it. And I'll have to go home and take a picture of it so I can, you can post it. You should, yeah. But, yeah, I was convinced that, that Robert Fisher – I had seen Robert Fisher. So I don't know if that's true. A lot of people have said they've seen him over the years. I'm just saying, like, it It was – You never know. Crazier things have happened. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, It doesn't matter now, obviously. That was so long ago. Right. But that's why I don't think he's – in Arizona, I don't think he's in the caves. I don't think he killed himself. I think he pulled a fucking John List. I mean, there's so many places someone could go. Yeah. So, anyway, so that's that's what I think. Um, uh, that's where I well, I think I saw him, but I don't know. Anyway, but that was the part where I was like, people are going to think I'm nuts, but I, I don't know. 
You never know. You never know. I mean, people go, like, yeah, people go everywhere. Yeah. I mean, people go to different countries. Yeah. People go can go anywhere. Exactly. Well, it's funny you say that because. It is. Um, so the FBI began an off, or offering a $100,000 reward to anyone with information leading to his arrest. The hunt for him from 2001 to now has become a worldwide manhunt with people claiming to have seen him in Puerto Rico and Canada. A couple in Puerto Rico had been taking photos and a man in the background got so upset and demanded he give them, them give him the camera and told them that he doesn't want his picture taken. Aye. And they show the pictures and he kind of looks like right. he could be Robert Fisher. And the guy also said to him, I've killed before, I'll kill again. Like Ooh. just complete psychopath. Um, the most controversial tip though came from Canada when the Royal Mounted Police stated that someone in custody who could uh, said they had someone in custody who could very well be Robert Fisher. Now, this is the most crazy tip because he was identified as Robert Fisher by a neighbor. So now this guy had a very had very similar features as Robert. He was the same height, weight, had a lower back surgical scar, and this guy was missing the same tooth that Robert was missing, but Robert had a gold tooth in its place, so it's very possible he could have pulled it out. Yeah. Um. Because maybe he used it for money. Well, that or he just took it out because he didn't want any more, nothing to be. Right. You know, whatever. Um, now, this man was claiming to be someone else. And when they ran his fingerprints, it came back that he was indeed who he said he was. But a former neighbor to this day claims it was Robert. The FBI had flown him in to identify the man and said that it was um, that within a moment the, that Robert, you know, and I'm air, air quoting. Quotes. I'm like, they can't see I know that. They can't see me. So, uh, but as soon as this Robert character that we think it is made eye contact with the neighbor, the neighbor said his stomach dropped and he immediately knew it was Robert. He's like, no doubt in my mind. But since the fingerprints didn't match, they didn't have their guy and they let him go. So I also compared the photos of Robert and this man that they had in custody. And I do agree there are similarities and, but there are two features to tell me why it was not Robert. So Robert's eyes are round like, even when he is squinting, you can see that he has very round eyelids. Like a rat? Yeah. Like, and his, these eyes, <laughs> I'm telling you, which is why like this guy. Rat. Yeah, and this guy, like, that I said I saw on Cocoa Beach, I'm telling you, it is. He, like beady like a rat. Yeah, like, you don't, you don't like it. No. Who um, likes a rat? Yeah. So, and then um, he, uh, this also guy, this guy in Canada, um, had a very distinct jawline. Um so the, I didn't see how that added up either. I don't know how you, unless the guy got, unless Robert fixed his jawline and then burned off his fingerprints. I don't see how it could have been him. Right. But this neighbor to this day is like, yep, that's Robert I mean, Fisher. You can, you can get like facial work done and stuff. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't know about like the fingerprints and like eyes and yeah. stuff, but like you can get jawlines and stuff. You know what I mean? Like you can get yeah, that kind of. It's very possible. So. You know. But yeah. So now on February 3rd, 2012. My favorite show ever, America's Most Wanted, got on the case. At the time, Robert would have been 49 years old, and they started off the episode comparing the similarities to another well-known case, one that I've also covered, Yep. the John List murders. Yep. You love these kinds. I do. You sure They're do. so fascinating. The, so, the kill the family and run Okay, murders. well, I don't... When you make it sound like that. Oh? But, yeah. 
John Walsh, the host of AMW, starts off the episode by saying that they caught longtime fugitive John List by airing his dirty laundry. So let's do the same for Robert Fisher. They talk about what an arrogant and controlling human being he is, as well as his love for the outdoors. They believe he is alive and living a life under a new identity. They add him to America's Most Wanted's Dirty Dozen list, but unfortunately, here we are 11 years since that airing, and we still don't know where Robert Fisher is. He would be 62 years old today. Huh. Um, so I will say this about America's Most Wanted 2. It's still to the – I love this show. Um, I It's a little bit more fancy now with, like, all this facial reconstruction they can do. Like, they can do, like, all this, like – what do you call it when Michael Jackson's doing that? Do you remember they, they do Michael <laughs> Jackson? No, they do Michael Jackson concerts. Even though he's dead. Holograms. Holograms. They do holograms for these folks now. So it's a little fancier for my liking. I like the old school stuff. But I get it. We're trying to catch people. Like the retro kind of way. Yeah. I liked it. Let's, you know, like with the cigarettes when they're, you know, I'm going to catch this guy. You know, and they're in a dark room and they've got the pins. Yeah. Get the yarn out. Yes. And the pin board. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Yep. Make a nice list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some nice colored oh, pens. Oh, gel pens. That's what we need. Yeah. So, anyway, so I love that show. Um, and I just wanted you all to know that I love that show. Okay. We know. So yeah. now, on November 3rd, 2021, Robert was removed from the FBI's top 10 most wanted list. But he is still wanted for his crimes. So just because he was removed right. does not mean we are not still looking for you, Robert Fisher. <sighs> Some people believe he committed suicide in one of the caves, and he just hasn't been found yet. But if he had committed suicide, why did he take his belongings with him? Why didn't he just sit in the house and wait for it to blow up if he wasn't afraid to die? Why wouldn't he have just killed himself in the home with um, with his family that he apparently loved so much? Some people believe he pulled a John List and is out there living a new life. Others believe he pulled a John List but then died under his new identity. Um, and other people just believe that he's just out there living a, a good life, um, uh, or, um, living up in one of the caves, just coming out when it's nighttime or something. So there's so many theories. It's like a werewolf now or something. Yeah. So for those of us who believe he is still alive and went on to start a new life, people question that the theory or question that theory because he only took out $280 from the ATM and his bank accounts were never touched again. But those of us who have researched this man know that he paid everything in cash. So there's no telling that how much he may have already had stashed away, given the fact that he had been planning this for what people feel like at least six months. Okay? Okay. Um, so he may have gone to an ATM to withdraw that money, um, you know, every other day or so and stash it away. Um, I don't know. Wait. Oh, yeah. So I said, I said, maybe he had this, like, um, this theory that every time he got mad at his wife, he'd go and pull out another max amount of money out of the ATM and yeah. stash it away. Wouldn't the banks have records of him, like, pulling out cash and Possibly, stuff but that's yeah. the, the thing is, though, what I read was that he always paid in cash. So it, him pulling out money Wasn't is not unheard really, of. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So what we do know about Robert Fisher is that he is six foot one, 190 pounds at the time of the murder. He comes off as very arrogant, cocky, and he likes people to be compliant with him. He is standoffish, and he tries not to get too close to people. He walks erect due to his back injury, and he has ties to New York, New Mexico, and Florida. Do you see what I'm saying? It could have been him. Could have been. Oh. 
He is an avid outdoorsman and is more than likely armed and dangerous. The gun used to kill Mary was never recovered and is among a few other guns of his that were not recovered at the house. Hmm. One thing I did hear on a podcast during my research was that these two hosts believe that he did not plan this because if he would have thought it through, he would have blown up he would not have blown up the house. They think that the explosion drew too much attention. But I want to say I completely disagree with this theory. Regardless, people would have found out about the same time of day that the family was dead because Mary had not shown up for work. Right. These hosts said that he could have had days to get away rather than 10 hours, and that's just not true. Right. Or the kids had to go to school, too. Right, exactly. Now, they recorded their podcast a while back, so it's possible they didn't know the information that I know now. But after all the evidence that has come out during the last 20 years, it is clear in my mind that Robert planned this for the most part. I do believe he didn't have a set date in mind, but when he decided to do it, he did it. In my opinion, he is out there alive, living under the radar. I am hopeful that he will slip like John listed, but this guy can also live off the grid, so we may never know what happened to him. I do know what happened to the house, however. But then again, so do you. Yeah, I I don't think that it got sold. Yeah, nope. So as you know, the explosion completely destroyed the home. But Agni, our home is where the murderer's referral partner, was able to track down some information on what happened to that lot since the fire. So here is what Agni sent me. The original home was a single-story ranch, brick home in South Scottsdale, built on a 10,360-square-foot lot back in 1987. The famous fire in which the wife and two children of Robert Fisher were killed happened on April 10, 2001. The house was bulldozed right after the fire, and the slab foundation remained till 2003 when one of the neighbors bought the vacant lot for $30,000. The lot exchanged hands a few times before it was finally bought by a company who built a house in 2004. And that house still exists today. The original original foundation was removed and a new foundation was put in before the construction of the new house took place. So there's really nothing left to it whatsoever. Yeah. The new home was sold in 2005 for $277,500 and then sold again three years later in 2008 for $303,000. Thousand three hundred three thousand three. Yeah. Why does that sound funny to me right now? Yeah. Because I'm tired. That's why. And the last sale occurred in 2020 for five hundred fifty thousand dollars. So a lot of growth in those prices. Yeah. No kidding. So the current home is a single story stucco home with asphalt shingles, which is typically of that area. It has a. It is a three bedroom, two bath, seventeen twenty six square foot living space. It boasts an RV gate and a private fenced-in pool. If you look at the exterior of the home, you cannot tell that anything has ever happened in the corner of town. He also attached the latest MLS sheet, which we will share on our Facebook and Instagram pages. So thank you, Agni, for that information. Thank you so much. But that is pretty much the gist of the Robert Fisher case. Now, there were a lot of moving parts to it, and it's kind of a hard read because... It bounces around a lot, and there's so many questions. Yeah. So I apologize if that one was a little bit hard to follow. No, that was really, really good. He did a really nice job with that. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, So I, Robin Booth, believe that I saw Robert Fisher in 2003 in Cocoa Beach. It has bothered me since I was, what, 16 years old, 17 years old at the time? You could have. Who knows? So, um, yeah. So I... I'd like to think he's still out there. I would. I want to know what you guys think, though. I don't think he's living in the caves. That seems I don't stupid. Think either. I think he's just in some random 
off the grid kind of small town where yeah, they like probably what, like what Herb said. Like that yeah. could very well be what he's doing. Like maybe he is just working construction jobs under a different name, and no one's questioning it. They're just you know doing their thing. Well, I mean, in some small little unincorporated towns, mm-hmm. they don't really care who you are, right? Yeah. Like, who cares? Like, they'll hire you for whatever. Exactly. You know, like, who cares? Yeah. So it's very possible, but I definitely want to hear what other people think. What do you think? What I just said. That is what you think? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> like, I literally just said, I don't think that he's living in the cave. Oh, I knew that part, but so yeah, I no, didn't. No. Okay. I think that he's living in some little unincorporated okay. town somewhere. And. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of living his life. I, to me, I don't think he ever like remarried or found anyone. I don't think so either. I think he's just laying low. I think and... it's safe to say that the man no, probably knows at this point he shouldn't be married. Yeah, I mean he's not a dummy. Right. I think he's just laying low. He probably has like a small little like, in my mind, he has a small little rundown house or something. Yeah. Yeah. And like. He's living in a little unincorporated town. Oh, so there was one other piece. So I really think everyone should go and watch this documentary that Brianna put together. And I can post a link for you guys on all of our sites and everything. It's really good. She did an amazing job with it. And what's cool about it, she interviewed a woman, um, and I think I mentioned her earlier, that she would do tours of the caves and things like that. She said that some old man came into her store one day and they had Robert Fisher's wanted poster up. And this guy lost his mind because he was like, that's my friend. He lives on my ranch. Like, yeah. why are you looking for him? Like, he did nothing wrong. Like, got really mad yeah. at this woman. So she immediately called the cops. And she tried to get his license plate. But she couldn't. And they never found him. They couldn't figure right. out what ranch he right. was Right. Like, on. a little ra- Like, he could be a ranch hand. Yeah. So, like, he, there's so many random, like, odd jobs someone could yeah. be working that... They don't care. Like, they don't need, like, your social security. They no. don't need any of no, that No, they kind just of need stuff. help. Yeah. They just need help. They hire you. They give you cash. Yeah. And that's and it. If he, and if he was storing away cash and everything, yeah, he could. And being able to hunt and make his, get his own yeah. food and shit, he's, he's good. I remember when we drove out to Arizona for um, spring training to go see the Brewers play a couple of years ago. I remember driving out there. Like, we drove through some really random, like, towns that Mm -hmm. it was like driving like through like a time warp oh really where it was like you're like do they have electricity here like it was like very weird there's like those kind of places like yeah like the ones that don't have credit card readers right exactly Mm -hmm. so i mean there it's very pot and those were like kind of like on main roads too can you just imagine just like off like 20 miles off the main road you would never even know anything like that is even there yeah unless you go looking for something like that and i think he had done his research and he knew what he was doing and i think that's why we haven't found him yet but i will tell you this there's um some really great detectives that are still on the case and you can tell that this means a lot to them yeah so i i am still hopeful so he's only in his 60s yeah if he's still alive i i will lose my mind if they find him i will i will be going to that court hearing like Moving to Arizona. I want... I well, want. I don't think you have to move there. No, but I just... Go. You can just visit. All right. Okay. But I I really want them to find him. I don't know why, yeah. but my brain is so consumed with this. And it used to be... I used to be pretty consumed with BTK, and then I lost my shit when they found him, when I found out who he is. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I say let's hunt for Robert Fisher. I want two things. I want all of you to, to find him, and then I want you to also tell me your theories on where he's been. So yeah. probably 
theories first and then go find him. Yeah. But um, total, um, you know, uh, uh, I will get you guys a $100 gift card to Amazon if you find him. Whoa. Yep, I said it. Go get him. Sick him. Yep. Get him. And there it is. So, yeah. So, there is the story of Robert Fisher. And I would like for all of you to f- join our Facebook group, Home is Where the Murder Is. Yep. And we have an Instagram as well. Uh, home is where the murder is. Yep. And you can email us your case ideas or questions, comments, or concerns to home is where the murder is at gmail.com. I will be putting um, Agni's information on our pages and our show notes and everything. But in the meantime, if you are looking for a Phoenix realtor, please reach out to him. He is the bee's knees. His number is 480-878-8650. Or you can email him at Agni. Mitra at kw.com, which is A-G-N-I-M-I-T-R-A at kw.com. Nice job, brother. Yeah. So thanks again, guys. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will be back next week with another episode. Woo! Bye! Okay, bye!